You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Well, well, here we are. This is the Anarchist World This Week, brought to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, brought to you across Australia by the Community Radio Network, north, south, east, west and around. That's right. And when I said around, streaming live around the planet on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. If you miss any, uh, in case somebody uh, shoots some bullets in your front yard, you never know what's happening in the big city. Uh, The program is podcast, so if you can't listen to it, you can always access the podcast. And if you do listen to 3CR in Melbourne, this program is repeated at 5am on a Friday morning. Well, my name's Joseph Toscano. All right, let's go through the formalities. Anarchism, without rulers, what gives rulers the ability to mobilise hundreds of thousands of people to die for nothing? Inequalities in power and wealth. That's right. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, devolve power, possibly through direct democratic means, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Almost a biblical analysis of what anarchism is because it's the struggle that human beings have been involved in for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. That struggle to be able to live our lives three of the dictates of people who want to acquire power and wealth for them and their cohorts and their family members, as we've seen in Sri Lanka. Well, the election campaign is almost ended. The good news is that by from the end of uh, today, that's the 18th, midnight, no more paid advertising, no more of that yellow crap from the uh, disunited Australia Party. No more platitudes from the Liberal Party. No more I'm going to change the world from the ALP. And those of you who haven't voted, well, it's your chance to uh, make a decision on Saturday. It's not my role to tell you who to vote for. It's my role is to tell you if you do vote, and I understand some people don't vote, they've just had enough. Well, the important thing is to remember is they don't care whether you vote or not. What they care about is the fact that we continue to maintain the status quo. 
we continue to ensure that the parliamentary puppet masters that one percent that own the means of production, distribution, exchange, and communication continue their uh, love affair with power and wealth. Well, this week has been about the great Australian dream. The quarter acre block in the suburbs. I'm sorry, that's no longer a great Australian dream. The great Australian dream is to own 200 square metres for half a million to a million dollars somewhere in the burbs. Hopefully near, near a train station. That's the great Australian dream. In my day, it was only a quarter acre block where you could go out and mow your lawn, plant your veggies, pay off your home in seven years on an ordinary income or a standard income. But we've gone forward in life. We now aspire to owning 200 square metres somewhere and mortgage our lives you know, and have intergenerational mortgage transfers. You know, you work all your life, you die, they read the will and they say, I leave my mortgage to my three children to be equally (laughs) divided amongst them. I'm not joking. That's if you're lucky enough to have a mortgage. Now, obviously, many people don't have a mortgage. They pay rent to the private sector. And again, we've seen an escalation of, you know, rents in this country. And at the same time, we're in the middle of an election campaign where everybody is aghast that workers want a wage increase to keep up with inflation. What's wrong with the bloody world, you know? It's as if that's some radical notion. Some radical notion. But let's move on. So the great Australian dream. Now, I've been flabbergasted. Now, as, as you know, those of you who listen to this program, I'm a independent Victorian Senate candidate. Not that I've got any chance of being elected as a Victorian senator. I did about 800,000 votes. It's not going to happen. So I'm going to take out a Powerball ticket on Thursday because that's, that's 80 mil and I've got a 1 in 97 million chance of winning Powerball, which is much better odds than me becoming a Victorian senator. But as I've said before, the idea of standing was not to be elected or even get my deposit back. I need about 40,000 votes for that, which is not going to happen. But to plant seeds, not ordinary seeds which you plant on barren ground, but seeds that align in kernels that are waiting, waiting for increasing inequality in this country and the climate emergency to create the conditions for these seeds to burst, be planted in the earth and grow as tall as the Victorian Mount Nash. That's what the campaign is about. It's about using every legal mechanism we have to get ideas across and change the direction this country has been going in for so long. So what about the great Australian dream? What about the great Australian dream? The 200 square metres with a 500 to a million dollar mortgage somewhere in the burbs. Well, you have seen the major political parties 
talk to you about how they're going to address the issue of housing affordability. One problem, one essential, critical, central problem. Neither the Liberal National Party or the Labor Party has used the P word, public housing. To the Greens' credit, they've used the word public housing, and obviously I've been using the word public housing for decades. Now, I'm going to go through this again because it's very simple. If an idiot like me can understand the economics, I'm sure the intelligent, erudite people listening to this program will be able to understand it and pass it on to their friends and families. If you haven't got a friend or family, pass it on to the person waiting for a train next to you. Now, it's very simple. We have 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent. So, we have extraordinary rents, extraordinary mortgages. I think we've got the second or third highest cost of housing in the world. Courtesy of Mr John Howard and Mr Keating and Mr Hawke, who turned the art of owning a home into an investment marathon. That's right, an investment marathon. So they talk about, we're going to give you this and we're going to give you that and you take out some superannuation money and we're going to guarantee this and we'll do this for about 10000 and it's your money, Jack and Jill. It goes on and on. What a lot of crap. The only way to increase housing supply, one, decrease rents, two, and decrease the cost of housing at the lower end of the market. It's very simple. It's about supply and demand. Not supply and demand, which is controlled by unregulated private sector, which monopolises the creation of housing in this country today. But supply and demand in terms of government at the state and federal level and possibly even at the local level Creating public housing. That's right. I've used the P word. Take that person out. Take that man out and shoot him right now. He used the P word, public housing. He used the word public housing and people think of cheap, low-grade, insecure. It goes on and on and on. For decades, people have been denigrating the concept of local housing because they want to acquire the great Australian dream which has shrunk from a quarter-acre block to a 200-square-metre block with a little slither of backyard where you could actually can't even put in up a hill's hoist. You know, they call it cookie-cutter housing. The same shape over and over and over and over again. So, public housing is the solution. And I'll tell you why. And I'm talking about creating huge, monstrous apartment blocks on the edges of the city, as we've seen now with the private sector. But I'm talking about spot purchasing homes around the country, regional areas, capital cities, rural areas, 
and providing public housing. Because what does somebody want from housing? The most important thing is housing security. What that means is that somebody can't turf you out at the end of your lease or somebody can't turf you out because they've decided they want to take the house back. The big problem with rental renting is the fact that you there is housing insecurity. And if you've got kids, it's a disaster because every time you move, they need to form new friendship groups, they need to join new sporting clubs, they need to go to new schools. And obviously their lives are turned upside down, higgledy-piggledy, because of insecure housing. Now, if you talk to many of the people who've lived in public housing for 30 to 40 years, they will tell you the fact that they know they won't be evicted if they pay their rent, which is, which is fixed at 25% of their income, if they're on some type of social security benefit, means that they can create a life for themselves and their children. Now, what happens as you increase? Now, these are purely capitalist terms. I shouldn't be talking about this. Being, you know, a pseudo-radical, I shouldn't be talking about this. But unfortunately, in 2022, ideas which were considered to be part and parcel of the fabric of the political, social and cultural network of this society have now become radical Things like public housing. It's a radical concept. I mean, we have governments talking about affordable housing, community housing, social housing. They're the buzzwords. Privately owned houses to provide housing to the disadvantaged brackets exploited. So let's go back to the original idea. Public housing. Public housing was created at the end of World War II in this country because men and women who'd put their lives at risk fighting in World War II came back and they were homeless. If you look at pictures in Melbourne at that particular point in time, in 45, 46, you will see tent cities full of servicemen and women on the Melbourne MCG in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens. And it was that impetus that created the movement for public housing. And by the 70s, 15% of Victorians, and this is the state I'm familiar with, lived in public housing. Today in Victoria, because of the privatisation of public housing by successive governments, especially Labor governments, we have seen that the number of people living in substandard public housing is about 2.8%. The rest have to fight it out in the private sector. So let's look at this in a capitalist framework. Supply and demand, okay? Supply and demand. If governments increase the number of public housing houses and house people in these houses what will happen is there'll be competition in the marketplace between the public and private sector. The greater the number of public housing, the less need to have rental housing. Because why would you live 
in an insecure situation when you can live in a secure situation for less rent. You wouldn't. So as the number of public houses increase, the number of people that are available to fill the private rental market decrease. As the number of people decrease, rents decrease. As rents decrease, negative gearing or no negative gearing, people who are you know, making a buck out of buying a number of homes and getting you to pay off their house, right? Well, they'll leave the market. As they leave the market, housing prices drop at the lower end of the market. I'm not talking about, you know, a mansion in Turak or Paran, or parts of Paran. I apologise for that. Or Tawong. I'm talking about, you know, lower end of the market. So it's supply and demand. Very simple. Supply and demand. So rents decrease, housing prices decrease. As housing prices decrease, what that means is that people who want to buy a home, who want to live the great Australian dream and buy their 200 square metres with no, with no garden of any type, well, those houses will drop in value. So the investors will get burnt. So what? They're investors. They've got another home. And what that means is that housing no longer is a commodity. It becomes something that people live in. It is not some type of investment thing. So it's very easy. It is so bloody simple and easy. Even an idiot like me who believes in change, can actually understand it. But what do we get? We get discussions about everything but public housing. And how do you finance it? It's simple. We have 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent. The first thing we can do is at the state level, states charge stamp duty for you to have the privilege of owning a house. And at the current housing prices, you could be paying anywhere between fifty to $80,000 in stamp duty. In Victoria, over $7.5 billion will be collected in stamp duty over the, over the, during the last 12 months. If that money was diverted to creating public housing, you could house 100,000 Victorians in public housing Every year, new public housing. That's right, which would help the construction industry. It just goes on and on. The positives are undeniable. But what we do we do? We have a housing minister in every state. We have a federal housing minister. We have hundreds of organisations in the private sector, for-profit, not-for-profit, who are putting their oar or are putting their hand in the Treasury and pulling out money to create social, affordable, you know, privately owned housing. We have state governments privatising public housing, giving away public land to the private sector, saying, you build, you know, this beautiful block of flats, give the bad 10% to the public tenants and you can have 90% which you can flog off for a profit and in 10 years time that 10% that's gone to the public sector will revert back to you and you can make another buck 
Wow, wow, wow. So, what can you do about it? Well, to me, increasing the stock of good, secure public housing is fundamental to creating a society where wealth is shared. Fundamental. As I keep saying on this program, the problem isn't the size of the cake in Australia. The problem is how the cake is divided. I tell you, I tear up every time I see a Smith family advertisement asking me to give money to the Smith family so they can help some poor little Australian kitty attend a public school and get an education and possibly change their future trajectory. How ludicrous that we find ourselves in 2022 in this particular situation, that we find ourselves in 2022 in a situation where a boring, nondescript little little shack in some outer suburb costs a million dollars and you need an intergenerational mortgage in order to pay it off to the banking sector, that we have now reached this situation because for far too long we have knelt at the altar of Mammon. We have taken to our bosom privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation, thinking, thinking that somehow it will trickle down to us. It doesn't. It's a trickle-down effect And unfortunately, it stops halfway because the treacle is very, very non-liquid. And guess what? It's very simple. In the last 40 years, we have seen a total reversal in the type of society we have become. 40 years ago, if you're an investor, a Johnny Howard gentleman, you know, I shouldn't, well, a Johnny Howard chap, Right, If you're an investor and you invested a dollar, you would expect a one-third, and you made a profit, one-third of that profit would go to you, two-thirds would go to the workers that create that profit. Today, in the era when actually asking for a wage rise to keep up inflation seems to be some type of evil, you know, evil thing, uh, two-thirds of every dollar which an investor makes in profit, goes to the investor and one-third goes to the worker. No wonder we find ourselves in this situation. And we continue to vote for the same people who give us the same analysis time after time after time. The same crap. It's just extraordinary. And as we get closer and closer to the 21st of May, People will be turning their minds to the election going, ah, well, let's do the same thing over and over and over again. And what happens when you do the same thing? You get the same shit. So, public housing, federal election pariah. It is the solution to the housing crisis. It is the great Australian dream modified to suit the 21st century. All right, let's move on. Now, as you know, an independent Victorian Senate 
candidate, as I said to you before, the chance of being elected as a senator in Victoria, uh, not good. I won't be elected. Because, you see, we have a mechanism in this country via which ideas are stifled. Give you an example. The poor government guild at ABC, under its charter, it has to give representation on its outlets to the political parties during a federal election in time, as far as time is concerned, directly proportional to the percentage of seats they have in Parliament. So all yours here is the Liberal Party view, the National Party view, the Australian Labor Party view, and occasionally you'll see a Green view, and maybe occasionally you'll see some independent pop up for, you know, 20 seconds. And the better finance the independent campaign is, the more they'll pop up. That's the nature of the beast. So, as I said before, I'm involved in elections, not because I'm going to be elected, not because I'm going to get my deposit back and it cost me $2,000 for the privilege of having my name on the ballot paper below the line. Not above the line, but below the line. That money is gone. But the ability to communicate to you and to many other people the fact that I'm bringing forward policies which are 21st century policies, things like a universal basic income, things like public housing, increasing public housing stock, and the list goes on and on and on. All you've got to do is go to the Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, and you'll see you know, a small business package. You know, everybody says small business is the engine room of the Australian economy. Well, it's not. But let's go. Let's look at it. There are five million people involved in small business. That's a lot of people. I agree. Very few get rich. Exceptionally through few. Ninety percent of small businesses fail within five years. A big problem is labour. In order to compete against transnational corporations and monopolies in this country, and we have some of the biggest monopolies on the planet, which dominate various aspects of life in in this country. They need to scrimp on wages. So we get these below-the-table payments, 10 bucks an hour. We get people robbing their workers in order to survive as a business and pay the debts they've got into in order to create that business. So what's a simple solution to assisting small business and and assisting workers? 40% of workers are involved in insecure work in this country. That's four out of ten. That's an extraordinary number, 40% insecure work. So, sole trader, sole trader. Why don't we increase the taxation threshold for a sole trader to $70,000? That means they don't pay any tax until they make $70,000 profit, which means most of them 
will have the ability to compete against the corporate sector. And how about small businesses that employ people? Why not increase the taxation threshold of any small business that employs 10 or fewer staff who pay... who? who employs full-time staff on award or above-award wages, $25,000 increase in taxation threshold. What that means is if you employ 10 people full-time on award or above-award wages, pay all the extras, the payroll tax, the GST, you know, and it goes on and on, then you get a $25,000 increase in your taxation threshold. So if you employ 10 people and you run a small business, you wouldn't be paying tax until you've got a $300,000 profit. So there'd be no need to exploit your workers. Simple concept. You don't need to bring back the guillotine. It's a simple concept that all it needs and all the policies which I have put forward for this federal election All they need is a majority in both Houses of Parliament. People say to you, Joe, why are you demanding the impossible? And I say, well, I'm realistic. Every impossible dream starts with an idea. When the Quakers in England started talking about abolishing slavery because it was against the will of God 300 years ago, everybody thought they were crazy, that the whole world would be turned upside down, that nobody would be able to make a profit. But within 150 years, the British Empire had abolished slavery. The list goes on and on. When women were first given the vote, it was thought to be the end, the end of life as we know it on the planet. And the list goes on and on. So all change, all reform starts with ideas. And if there are people who are not willing to raise ideas, especially during an election campaign, well, nothing will ever change because people's thinking will continue to be in the same direction. It's a little bit like Galen. Ever heard of Galen and the principle of laudable pus? Well, if you've got a, you're not, if you're squeamish, you should turn the radio off for the next or stop the podcast, but. Galen was a foremost Roman physician and he wrote a medical textbook 2,000 years ago. And Galen noticed that for a wound to heal, you needed pus. That was his observation. So for the next 1,900 years, until Semmelweis in the 1860s showed that there are things called germs and that if you have pus, it means that the thing is infected and it's not going to heal. For 1,800 years, doctors of all types around the world were putting faeces, soil, vomit into wounds to create pus because they believed, they believed that this was the way to have healing. And over 2,000 years, millions of people died because of that observation. Now, poor old Semmelweis, when he put forward his ideas, he was ostracised, marginalised and committed suicide. But time proved that what he had said 
was 100% correct. And if I put feces in a patient's wound to help their healing, I would be not only disbarred from being a medical practitioner, I'd be jailed. Think about it. It's the same with ideas. It's the same analogy. Things which may seem to be impossible are realistic. Things like a universal basic income, which I've spoken about ad nauseum, where every citizen has the ability to live a reasonable life because they receive an income, not a social security benefit, but for an income which allows them to have a reasonable life. It would decrease family violence because it gives women the ability to leave destructive relationships because they're financially independent. It would mean that people with talent, who want to develop their talent with music, writing, could actually go down that path in an era when we have mechanisation, digitalization, we don't need every human being on the planet to be working for us to survive and prosper as a society. Now I could hear you say, oh, Joe, well, fairy talk, fairy talk, fairy in the bottom of the garden talk. Well, I prefer to be a fairy at the bottom of a garden than a troll. And the thing is, it's not. We can do it tomorrow. A few simple taxes. Now everybody says, oh, higher taxes, that is terrible, I can't deal with it. And I understand, I'll tell you why. I'll look at the Australian taxation system, it's wonderful. The rich don't pay tax, they pay voluntary taxation. I'll give you an example. Who do you think pays tax in this country? Who do you think finances the health system, the education system? Who do you think is the backbone of the taxation system? Is it the corporate sector? No. Is it the rich and famous? No. It's the pay-as-you-earn taxpayer. That poor bastard pays almost 70 cents of every dollar which is goes into the federal government coffers as taxation. Another 10 to and about another 10 to 15% comes from excise. GST, excise on tobacco, excise on petrol, excise on alcohol and a number of other goods and services. And then you have the great corporate sector, the billionaire manufacturing factory, you know, the billionaire factory. And guess how much tax they pay into the common treasury? Maybe 15%, maybe 20%. And we genuflex and say, look at that wonderful, wonderful human being. Look at that billionaire. He or she has got there through their own blood, sweat and tears. I know who has blood, sweat and tears. It's all those extraordinary Australians. There are many of them. The majority pay their taxes, don't use tax loopholes, don't use fancy accountants, obey the law, send their kids to school, scrimp and save in order to pay their rent or mortgage, have a little bit of fun on the side, and the list goes on and on. They're the losers in Australian society, and we'll be continued to be losers while we identify with the celebrity, the rich and powerful, as if they 
are the epitome of life in this country. So, if you haven't voted already and you live in Victoria, and I'm sure there are other candidates with similar ideas in other states, it's a matter of looking around, and you wish to vote for yours truly, the Victorian Senate, and remember we have a preferential system. So a vote for me is not a lost vote. If you look at your Senate ballot paper, it's a white paper, it's about a metre long, and you look in the far right-hand corner below the line, you'll see my name, Joseph Toscano. Put a one in my box and then put a two in the box next to the political party you would like to see in government. All right? Because my preference will flow to them. I'm not telling you how to mark the boxes. You need, and it's very important, you need to mark 12 boxes below the line for your vote to be valid. Now, as I'm, I'm an independent, ungrouped Senate candidate, if you mark the boxes above the line, you, will be not, you won't be voting for me. You'll have to spend a few minutes looking at the names and the political parties below the line and marking 12 boxes from 1 to 12. That's if you support these policies, because the greater the number of votes for myself, the greater the ability we have after the election to pursue many of these issues. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. Now, the 21st of May is one day in a three-year cycle. One day. It is not the end of activity. It is the beginning of activity, irrespective of who governs us or attempts to govern us, courtesy of the 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and the investment class, which are pulling the parliamentary strings, Irrespective, change only occurs through action in between the electoral period. So the 22nd of May is the beginning of our campaigns. It's the beginning of a campaign for a universal basic income, for increased public housing, for an adequate public health sector, a public education sector where we don't need private charities to raise money to send kids to school, and the list goes on and on, for an independent foreign policy for focus on West Papua independence. That's the 22nd of May, 2022, because it's what happens in between elections which determines policies which are brought to you at the next election in 2025. Parliamentary democracy is a sham because we're told, cast your ballot every three to four years, every three years on the federal sphere, every three years, elect your representatives and they will do the job for you. Well, they won't. They won't. You need to do the job for yourself. 
So I'm looking for extraordinary people. Now, I know everybody who listens to the Anarchist World this world is an extraordinary person. And I make my pitch to extraordinary people. And who are extraordinary people? Extraordinary people are those who think about the people around them. Extraordinary people are those who think that we shouldn't find ourselves in this resource-rich country in this situation. That's an extraordinary person. An extraordinary person is a person who's not thinking of their hip pocket nerve when they're casting a ballot. An extraordinary person is a person who can see through all the bullshit. That's an extraordinary person. An extraordinary person is somebody who, despite despite the hurdles that have been put in their way during their lifetime, and most of us have had to jump over extraordinary hurdles and many times we fall over the hurdle and pick ourselves up. These are the extraordinary people who pick themselves up despite, despite the disappointments in their lives, despite all the negativity in their lives, who pick themselves up and continue to agitate for a more egalitarian community because they understand that security doesn't come from inequality. Security comes, personal security comes from equality, access to the Commonwealth. Extraordinary people are people who go about their business every day, pay their taxes, raise their kids, go to work, pay their mortgage, the ones that are considered to be losers in 21st century Australia. The losers in 21st century Australia are all those people clutching their superannuation to their chest, wondering about every gyration in the stock market and seeing their future fluctuate. These are ordinary Australians. The ordinary Australians are the celebrities, the vacuousness, the journalists, the media hacks. These are the ordinary Australians. The rich and famous who don't pay tax or pay voluntary taxation. The politicians who take on, you know, the heirs and graces of the rich and famous. They're the ordinary Australians. We don't want the ordinary Australians on our bandwagon. I'm looking for extraordinary Australians to join public interests before corporate interests. Despite legislation being changed federally that increases the membership required for a registered political party from 500 to 1,500, we are still in the mix. We still want to be registered as a Victorian political party. We still want to be registered in an Australian political party. And to do that, I'm looking for extraordinary Australians, honest, hard-working people, the type of people Morrison smirks at, the type of people they laugh at, the type of people who continue to vote, you know, for the very people who've put them in the situation they find themselves in. So I'm looking for extraordinary Australians to join public interests before corporate interests. Joining is easy. You can join via the net. Go to pipsy.net, follow the prompts and join. If you haven't got a computer, we can always send you out an application form. 
just leave a message on 0439 395 489. Or you could even write to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Think about it. Are you an extraordinary Australian? Permanent resident? Refugee? Asylum seeker? Citizen? Or are you one of those ordinary, boring people who exploit other people's labour, who laugh at those that work hard, pay their taxes, do the right thing by their family? Well, the decision is yours. All right. Yep. I've been told, why don't I... Be nice on Anarchist World this week like I am on Radical Australia where I'm uh, interviewing interesting people. Well, it's a different format. On this program, I'm sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. On Radical Australia, I'm learning. I'm listening. That's the difference. So, the last roll of the dice. Now, I'm very concerned... I'm very concerned, and I'll tell you what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the politicisation of this country's military forces. It's interesting to see Mr Dutton, that man who soiled Anzac Day by talking about war on the day we're supposed to remember the sacrifice of those who've died, actually using Anzac Day to promote the possibility of war with China. But I'm concerned about the militarisation of Australia, and most importantly of all, the politicisation of both the Federal Police and the Australian Armed Forces. And we've seen this in terms of the scare campaign which has been created regarding the Yellow Hordes. You know, the Chinese, they're almost here. They're at the door. As if a surveillance vessel from the Chinese isn't a normal everyday occurrence it's a normal everyday occurrence it's nothing we have surveillance vessels i mean our united states alliance means that we are part of the united states bases which ring the chinese mainland you know what my fear is when i look at what's happening in ukraine as i said before that could have been a negotiated war could have been a negotiated settlement before war occurred it could have been. I know everybody's talking about Putin being the new Hitler. Now, obviously, he's a dictator. But again, even dictators sometimes have a little bit of sense. And the thing is, we've seen interesting United States policy as far as Ukraine is concerned. Now, Ukraine abuts Russia. It's very simple. It's a little bit like Canada in the United States of America. And what we've seen is the United States government has made the decision to drag Russia into a war which will ensure that it will be bogged down for a decade, at least a decade. And the reason to do that is to actually be able to concentrate the United States' effort on the increasing competition between the Chinese government and the United States government. This is the 21st century the third player, Russia, has been in this little proxy war in the Ukraine. And who are paying the price? Ukrainian civilians 
the Ukrainian Armed Forces and the conscripted Russian Army. They're paying the price for this proxy war because the United States has decided we are not going to confront a nuclear power head-on. Makes sense. But we're happy to have a proxy war. We're happy for people to fight on our behalf. And those of you who think the United States alliance is the best thing going for Australia as far as protection from the Chinese is concerned, think again. Information has just come out that the United States will be building a base on Cocos Islands to the north of Australia. They already have agreement with the Papua New Guinea government to build a naval base in Rabaul. And obviously, what we are seeing is a program of increased militarisation in this region. And my concern is that if we go down this path, is that we will become the Ukraine of the South Pacific. Because the real battle isn't between Russia and the Ukraine. Supported, the real proxy battle isn't between Russia and the Ukraine. The real proxy battle will be between China and the United States of America. And the United States of America has a very, very poor history of looking after its allies. Look at the debacle that's just happened in Afghanistan. Look at the debacle in Iraq. Look at the debacle in Vietnam, just in the last 50 to 60 years. Look at those debacles. When it comes to the United States and Australia, the United States' interests will always come first. And if it means there's going to be a proxy war in Australia on behalf of the United States, where well, they're quite happy to have a proxy war. No wonder we've seen the increased militarisation of this country and the increasing number of US bases on this country and the building of a new US base in the Cocos Islands and the tripling of US troops in northern Australia in the last few years. So they're softening you up for a proxy war. Are you willing to sacrifice your children in this proxy war regarding basically competition between two superpowers? Or is there another way? Is there another way? We're part of the South Pacific. Maybe, just maybe, we should look after the interests of the people in our backyard. Maybe that's the best way to defend ourselves. Maybe. Look at the, look at the situation you find yourself in. Look at that situation. Because do you want Australia to be the Ukraine of the South Pacific? Because the way things are going... That's what will happen. Now, I know it seems ludicrous for me to raise this analogy. I know you think it'll never happen. But as you saw with Russia and Ukraine, things happen very quickly when superpowers are willing to use other people's territory and other people to be involved in proxy wars on their behalf. And everything that's happened as far as defence is concerned in this country in the last five to six years has been about increasing the strength of that alliance. So think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. As I said before, I'm looking for extraordinary people. That's right. 
extraordinary people, not the ordinary folk, you know, those folk that are billionaires and millionaires and those folk that don't pay taxes and those folks that are celebrities and those media hacks who think they've got some type of analysis or something to offer the world, you know, if there's pre-scripted garbage. No. I'm looking at people who are hardworking, who pay their taxes, who are on Social Security benefits, who obey the law, who do all the right things and who are treated as pariahs in this country. I keep saying this is one of the richest countries, one of the richest countries on earth. We've got a minimal population of 25 million people. We live on a resource-rich continent. Change occurs through struggle, not just by casting the ballot on the 21st of May, As I said before, change, the struggle for change regarding the next parliamentary election in 2025 will be based on the amount of activity we are able to organise during the next three years. And for that, we need extraordinary, sensible people, people who have fallen over at the hurdles of life, who have found themselves behind the starting line, but who can actually see what's happening to them. So if you are one of these people, get involved. If you're not interested in what I'm talking about, there are other organisations out there. Get involved. Get involved on on the ground activity in between elections. Move away from issue-orientated politics into a more general, cohesive, cultural, social, political uh, activity which actually challenges power, those who have power and wealth in this country. All right, if that's the last of the epistle, the pre-election epistle. Now, I've been responsible for any election comment I've made during this program. As I said before, I'm on the ballot paper for the Victorian Senate. It's up to you how you vote. But if you wish to vote for me, a little bit of advice. Senate paper is white. It's a metre long. It's got a big black line separating the top third and the bottom third. Go to the bottom third. Don't fill the boxes on the top top third if you want to vote for me. If you want to vote for one of the political parties, that's fine, one to six. But if you vote below the line, I'm on the far right-hand corner. I love the irony. I'm on the far right-hand corner of the ballot paper. One in the box next to my name. Then mark another 11 boxes from two to 12 in the order that you see fit. And my advice is... Because we have a preferential system, a vote for me is a vote for change and it's not a wasted vote, as a lot of people think. The the group you put in second is where my preference will go. So if you want that particular organisation to lead the Australian people over the next three years, mark the boxes, two, three, four, five, whatever, under their particular name. All right, thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. If you're listening to this program, it's coming to you from the studios of FreeCR in Melbourne. It's broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. You can go, if you want to follow the electoral fortunes, go to Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public, public interest before corporate interest, pipsy.net. The important thing is share the material. We've been putting out policies every day. Share it. I don't have millions of dollars. All I've got is you. Most of you are on the net, not everybody. Share the material. Share it, share it, share it, share it. Let's move outside 
this, the, the media that we have today and share the material because change comes from activity. And remember, irrespective of who wins on the 21st of May, our activity starts on the 22nd of May and we will continue to be active till the next federal election to change the dynamic in this country, to change the policies which are important in this country. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.